here I am, this is what I have to say, and you should be confident. You just have to think on your feet. And let young girls know that anytime that something terrible happens, there's good somewhere. We have incredible communities across the state. When we put it together, we can help even more people. You can't be too hard on yourself. This is what you get, people. Yeah. <laughs> Embrace this. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's fantastic. Thank you for tuning in to All About the Girls, the podcast, where your host, me, Jenny Craig Brown, interviews incredible women to learn what powers them, what inspires them, and how they make our world a better place. Let's get to it. Well, everybody, I am so excited to announce that we have Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch on this episode of All About the Girls, the podcast. So if you don't know, uh, Suzanne Crouch is Lieutenant Governor, which is kind of the uh, number two to Governor Holcomb. She is his right hand. Uh, she's a phenomenal woman. She talks about it. She's tall, 5'11". So this interview is all about her upbringing, getting over being tall. We talk about uh, being a lieutenant governor, being a strong woman um, in such a high profile position. Just everything that we talk about is absolutely phenomenal. She's super fun. And I was so excited that she took the time out for us. I know she's always traveling with sessions. Fantastic to have her on All About the Girls, the podcast. I give to everybody, Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch. All right, Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, welcome to All About the Girls, the podcast. Well, it's great to be with girls any day of the week. So thank right. you for having me on. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited today to bring you on. You know, we've connected via some greatnews.life uh, content previously. And I just think having a lieutenant governor that is a female and has gone through some crazy times, I'm certain you have plenty of great stories. Um, and have you've really just, you've laid your groundwork and you are one of the very influential women, I think, within the state of Indiana. So I'm really excited that you uh, decided to join us today. And I want to talk about all the things. So if, as you know, with greatnews.life, we don't touch a ton of politics or crime or anything negative, but I would love to learn a little bit more about you as a person. We can kick it off maybe with, um, tell me a little bit about what Lieutenant governor means, your position within the state of Indiana and, and in the nation. Tell me a little bit about your background there. Well, Lieutenant Governor in Indiana is the second highest elected position in the state. And um, I serve if the governor becomes incapacitated. But in addition to that, I have constitutional and statutory duties. In fact, I probably have more duties than any other Lieutenant Governor in the country, because in most instances, that is what the Lieutenant Governor does. In Indiana, in addition to that, Constitutionally, I'm president of the Senate. So when the Senate is in session, I'm running the Senate. And I just want to share that as a former House member for eight years, it's gratifying to finally be in charge of the senators. So it's- I can only imagine that's feeling, yeah. <laughs> but statutorily, I also head up four agencies in Indiana. I also chair a number of initiatives. I was last year, chaired the uh, Indiana Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission, wow. the Census Commission, in addition to that, the Civic Education 
Commission. And then what is really near and dear to my heart is I chaired the Intellectual and Developmental Disability Task Force. We have about 100,000 Hoosiers in Indiana who have an intellectual or developmental disability. And these are Hoosiers with autism, Down syndrome, and cerebral palsy. And so through that task force, we really focus on ensuring that they have opportunities to have a safe, accessible, affordable environment. Because I say our friends with disabilities are just merely our friends with different abilities, and they have the same dreams and hopes and desires as each and every one of us. They want to have a job and have friends and love and be loved and be successful in life. So we work to make sure that they have those opportunities. So I'm going to stop there because I think that gives you at least a little bit of an idea of kind of the many hats I wear and yeah. all the different jobs I do here in the state of Indiana. Yeah. And I think, you know, just what you do with within your job title is huge, um, but you take on so many extra things, task forces and commissions and things like that. What makes you jump into all of those um, spots? You know, I think um, I think it goes back to the way I was raised, um, and that was, you know, we want to treat people as we want to be treated. But we also have a responsibility to help others who are less fortunate. It's what I was, how I was raised. It was ingrained in me throughout my young life and into adulthood. And I think that that's what attracted me to public service. But it also is what what drives me to seek out those areas where I can really make a difference for people and really lift up Hoosiers and try to improve their lives. And so, those are the kind of the opportunities and the initiatives that I really seek out. In fact, after this election, uh, Governor Holcomb and I were talking about what we wanted to focus on over the next four years, in addition to what we do every day. And I told him that I wanted to focus on mental health and addiction because the human cost of this pandemic yep. huge and it's growing to grow exponentially over the years to come. In fact, I don't think we have any idea of how many people are going to be impacted by this pandemic. So those struggling with mental health challenges and addiction, which by the way, are one out of five Hoosiers, their ability to be able to have successful lives and be able to overcome their challenges during this period has been extremely difficult uh, because COVID has really isolated people and it's, it's caused uncertainty and anxiety in our lives and it has disrupted the way we have services delivered. I have a brother who is um, a recovering alcoholic. He relapsed during COVID. He's back in recovery now, but he right. said, I'm not making excuses, but you know, the support group wasn't there for him, you know, and, and just that having people there helping to support him and lift him up. Right. Uh, disappeared. So that is really what my focus is going to be on over the next four years is how do we help those Hoosiers that are struggling and trying to overcome their challenges? How do we help them do that? That's intelligent. I, and it's such a breath of, I feel like it made me, I literally, I think I actually literally took a breath. <sighs> You know, because it's something I think mental health for so I mean, almost my entire life, I'm 37. And 
it's always been a bit taboo and it's always been, you can't just, you know, and I think in the, we've made strides as a nation in probably the last five years, maybe, I think maybe more specifically the last two or three, where it's becoming more normalized to regularly see a therapist or be a part of those groups that really help you mentally strive. Um, and we've got some great outlets. If you think about, you know, Porter Stark or Merrim Health Centers in Gary, we've got really great places. But I think connecting the dots between a Porter Stark and someone in need of that and not knowing that it's an opportunity for them and keeping, yeah, you're right, as you mentioned, through a pandemic, keeping those opportunities available, getting the word out about them. I mean, it's something we strive for huge here is really does everybody know, I mean, if this is the left hand talking to the right hand, and I think that's why we try to promote out so many of these programs and things that we that are available in the state is that there's so many programs that are probably underutilized because people don't know they're available to them. And I think your brother's a perfect example of when we get sheltered like this, you kind of feel like you lose all your limbs. You have nobody to reach out to. There's no one there. And how can we fix that for future? I think kind of people being shut in while we're hopefully going to get through this pandemic and we are going to get to some sort of normalcy. That might be a thing we have to deal with for the rest of our lives. If just as technology advances, people are more shut off from human interaction day to day and they need more of that. And how can we help them? So that's, I'm very excited to hear that. Uh, very appreciative to hear that that's something on the forefront of your guys' minds and, and plans. So that's really fantastic. Is there anything else that you would like to mention about your kind of plans for the year ahead that you're really excited about? I mean, that sounds like the number one, which is exciting enough. But is there anything else that you want to mention? Well, my agencies, um, to a large extent, they serve rural small town Indiana. Uh, not exclusively, but there's a real focus on that. And so one of the things that we did when COVID hit is we put out a rural road to recovery plan, each of my agencies working together on how to help their stakeholders that are affected by their agency cope over the next six months to the end of 2020. And then we are now in the process of revising that plan, providing a roadmap for them for the next six months and year to come. Uh, to try to help um, reprioritize and refocus our energies adapting to this COVID-19 and the many stakeholders that are affected by it. So we'll continue to be working in that. Um, I think it's, you know, while we had a blueprint and a strategy uh, when COVID hit, that kind of threw that out the window. Of and course. Now we have to focus and look at how we can you know, how we can adapt and, and really be able to help them adapt and adjust to these changing times. You know, the Indiana Destination Development Corporation that I mentioned, which used to be our state tourism agency, that sector has been absolutely probably the hardest hit and most immediately hit industry in our state and, and really in the nation. And so how do we look at redirecting and refocusing our energies to help them survive and to help them then thrive moving into the future. So that'll be a big focus. You know, the NCAA coming. Yes. Indiana uh, to Indianapolis. And then of course the division 
two will be playing in my hometown of Evansville, it's going to be huge opportunity for us to showcase our Hoosier hospitality and really put our best foot forward to all those people from all over the country coming here to our state uh, because we want them to leave with a good impression of Indiana. Yes. So that some of them maybe will come here and learn how to live, play, work, study, and stay in Indiana. Oh, well said. I absolutely love that. Now, you've mentioned a couple things. You mentioned your hometown. You've mentioned that you were brought up um, to treat others as you would like to be treated. And you mentioned your brother. So let's get into that whole subject of your youth, uh, where you grew up, kind of your childhood. Fill us in on Suzanne's uh, before Lieutenant Governor life. Oh, yeah, well, um, you know, I was one of five children. I was the oldest girl. I grew up in a very pretty strict Catholic family. But my parents always raised uh, um, the four sisters, uh, the four of us girls and my brother to be equal. And with that, I mean that we as girls did yard work and we did, you know, the manual labor and hard work around the yard. and outside and my brother also did housework and did the dishes and and did that so i was raised with um in an environment where as a woman you were equal to a man i mean it was it didn't matter you know you all kind of approached life the same and everybody shared in the responsibility i i was i guess as a child looking back i was always kind of marching to my own drum um, in a sense, uh, I had, you know, a lot, I, when I look back now, I, it was, I probably was a very strange child, but, <laughs> uh, I, and I, but I always wanted to be first and, and to give you okay. an example of, of, from my childhood, my mother often would tell me the story about how when I was in kindergarten, she got a call from the teacher and the teacher said, you, Mrs. Crouch, you need to talk to your daughter about not going out to recess and immediately getting in line to come back in so she can be the first one in because while she was the only one doing that for a while, now the entire class goes out to play and everybody lines up. Oh my God, and they spend all of recess lined up to come back in and it's completely not, there's no recess. That's right, but I wanted to be the first one in, you know? And, and I find to this day, I want to be the first one up to the traffic light. I want to be the first one away. I want to be the first one into yoga. You know, I want to be the first one out the door. Um, so I, I don't know why that is that I'm that way, but you know, that all comes from childhood and it just comes from, but it, it, it helps me understand that so much of who we are today comes from how we were raised or the influences we had when we were younger. And that's why I've been such a proponent and such a supporter of early childhood education. Because while I had the opportunity to have a great education and I had great parents and a great family life, not every child has that. And so getting access and, and being able to reach those children when they're in their very formative years and their brains are developing and being able to give them positive messages and being able to maybe give them something that perhaps they aren't getting at home 
I think has a really long lasting effect on those children. Um, so I was just a very, and I guess a child that just marched to my own drum. I did some very, looking back now, some very kind of funny, strange things because, <laughs> you know, of just what I wanted to do, but I don't want to share all of them, but <laughs> that's okay. You can keep some of those secret. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. But so I was, and, and so I ended up, you know, going through school um, and ended up graduating from Purdue University and I wasn't political because I didn't grow up in a political family. So okay. my, my parents always voted, but I don't recall political discussions. So I, ju I just never heard them. Uh, it's almost like religion, politics and money were three things that were never talked about. That was very similar. My upbringing was, you know, my parents, I just remember a conversation between my parents where my mom asked my dad who he voted for. And he said, I don't want to tell you. Like I, he didn't want to, that wasn't something they discussed regularly, even with each other. It was so, that was just kind of, I think back in the day, uh, air quotes, uh, it was just, uh, it wasn't something people talked about as often or as openly as now. It was really like a personal choice and a personal responsibility, but not something that, that was as talked about. I think you're right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wasn't Republican or Democrat and it wasn't until after we were married and I was kind of inspired by Ronald Reagan. Uh, he was such a clear voice in defining the essence of America. And, you know, he always, he always impressed upon us that, we must never rest in the in the fight to protect life and liberty. And he just, for some reason, he motivated me to want to get involved in politics. It's just an it's just an example of how sometimes it's a person, sometimes it's an event, sometimes it's an issue that causes you to want to get more involved in the political process. Uh, and so, I did get involved, and um, you know, I. I got involved with people and campaigns. And then I ended up running for county auditor down in Vandenberg County, my hometown and lost, I lost, you know, and I, wow. I was devastated because I thought, you know, if you're the best candidate, in, which I thought I was, and right. you were the hardest, which I thought I did. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, That's how it works. You work the hardest and you're the best candidate and you win. Yeah. Well, it doesn't always work that way, no. but you also learn more from your losses than you do your wins. And I learned a lot, you know, as a result of that experience, a lot about myself, you know, also, but, you know, I, I just had an interesting journey in life. And, and I always say that, you know, I think that things happen for a reason. And I believe that what's meant to be is meant to be. I think that God puts us in places and I think God puts people in our lives. Mm -hmm. And then it's up to us as to what we do with all that. Um, so, you know, I, I, my life's been a journey. Um, and I also say life's like a book. Some chapters we get to write, yeah, and then some are written for us, you know? That's but, a really great way to say that. But we're here for such a short period of time that if we can't make a difference and if we can't impact people's lives and improve them, then why are we here? I mean, yeah, that's a great point as well. And you mentioned, um, you know, we learn the most from our losses and, you know, here at great news life, that's actually what we call them. We don't actually call them loss or 
uh, something we was bad or messed up, we call them learns. And we actually discuss them often as a team is what was your learn for last week? And it's usually kind of, what was that thing that didn't go that great, you know? And um, how that's hard. I think we've seen with our team or with any one person, it's hard to kind of take that look at yourself to say, because you could very easily come out of that, that uh, loss and say, I was the best candidate. I did work the hardest. I should have won. And everyone else is wrong, but then you're not technically really learning. How do you um, make yourself or how do you actually take the time to step out and look in? What And what does that process look like for you? Oh, hmm, I don't know. Let me think about that because I don't know. Maybe I don't do it. <laughs> I mean, it seems like you... Uh, you obviously, if you're recognizing, you know, hey, you learn a lot from those those moments. Uh, you're you're definitely taking taking some time for reflection. Does it sounds like maybe that just comes naturally for you? Um, no, I mean not necessarily. I mean, I, I, I try to learn from everything that I do, but I also I don't live in the past. I don't. I'm not one of these people that holds on to the past. Um, I, I always am in the moment and looking to the future. So I'm able, I'm able to let stuff go, you know, just to let it, let it happen, it happen, let it go and move on. Uh, and so I probably, maybe I don't reflect as much as I should, but, um, you know, I do think that, you know, you have to, you can't ever let anything beat you down in life. You have to keep fighting and you have to keep moving forward. And life is a series of a lot of different things. And so you're going to have some learns in there. You're going to have a lot of learns in there, but that's how, yeah. you, that's how you grow as a person. And I guess my, my frustration always is I want to do everything in life. I want to experience as much as I can. I don't want to miss a moment. I don't want to have any regrets. And so I tend to like maybe like be in moving and going sometimes in 10 different directions at once. Um, so my challenge probably is more about, you know, focus, focusing enough and staying focused on something, you know, enough to be able to make it happen. Yeah, you know, at this stage, at this stage of my life, I have less years ahead of me than I have had behind me. So every moment is precious to me every single moment i love that you see it that way um i think everybody should look at that a little bit more and not worry about what you don't have or what you still want it's more just you're here which is we should all be very grateful for and it's like you said it's not that long so really enjoy those days whatever however many you have one million or or three uh it's really important and actually it brings me to another question I would love to ask you. So especially in the role, the roles plural that you serve for the state of Indiana, how do you deal with or do you at all deal with work-life balance? Do you have a balance? Do you feel like you don't worry about that? Is it just natural for you? Tell me a little bit about uh, Lieutenant Governor work-life balance and how hmm. that works for you. I'm probably like most women. I probably don't have enough balance in my life. Uh, and I have an interesting lifestyle because I have an apartment and I live in Indianapolis during the week. Uh, my husband's in Evansville. And then I come home to Evansville on the weekends. Um, and so 
I almost have like a split life. When I'm in Indianapolis, I'm all about work. You know, I mean, I'm just working all the time. I don't exercise, you know, not enough, probably not much. <laughs> when I come to Evansville, I go to yoga. I try to get home early enough on Fridays to go to yoga and I go to yoga on Saturday and go to yoga on Sunday and I go to the gym each day and then I go do weight training and, and it's so it's, and I eat healthy, you know, so it's like when I'm in Evansville and I'm away from work, that's when I have that life where I have the balance in it that I want. And then when I'm in Indianapolis, I'm all about work, you know, and yeah. doing what I want to do. So I, I'm probably not a very good example of having good balance in your life because I should be, I, I should be combining the two to where, you know, I have that equal balance, but I'm just not, I'm just not made that way. I just, it's like, whatever my focus is, that's what I'm all about. You know, right. that's what I'm all about. And I mean, I give it 150% and I just become consumed by it. So um, I, I need to, like many women, work on putting more balance in my life, probably not less. I, I don't know that I've had a woman on this podcast thus far that says, oh, yeah, I've got the balance down pat. Um, so I definitely think you're exactly correct. Uh, most women, I think, work maybe too much, don't definitely don't spend enough time on themselves. If it's work or family or whoever they're taking care of or whatever that looks like for them, it's almost always more work than play. And I think it's definitely important to as long as, but as long as I think the biggest thing is if your balance feels good to you and you're not, and you're okay with maybe an imbalance, that's great. I mean, I don't think that it has to be a perfect 50, 50. I think you're right. A lot of women will never have a 50, 50. Um, it's just not who we are and that's okay too. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as we stay healthy, you know, I mean, that is the most important thing is, is, um, staying healthy. I take a lot of supplements. I do a lot of herbs. You know, okay. I, I, what's, I, your, what's your best supplement or what would you, uh, if you could give us advice on what you do to keep you healthy, what would it be? Um, well, I do yoga. That's a great way to stay healthy because it really connects your mind and your body. Uh, it's just a great exercise. But in addition to yoga, I take a lot of herbs and, and a lot of supplements and I, I have a healthy core as a result. Right now, I'd say the biggest the biggest thing people can probably do is be sure they're getting plenty of vitamin C because that helps to boost right one. your immune system. And, and, you know, with COVID out there, um, you know, it's important that we keep a very healthy immune system. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I take way too many to even start naming them, you know. That's okay. No, that's fantastic. And do you sleep? Are you one that invests a ton into sleep? or you want to invest a ton or just, it's not something that you, you deal with regularly. Uh, you know, I, well, I hate to get out of bed when it's dark and cold, you know, like everybody else, but, uh, you know, if I can get six and a half, seven hours, I'm good. You know, I don't do caffeine because I am so wired naturally that I can't, I can't put any more, you know, wiring into my body. Really? So <laughs> no need for it. A ton. I just don't need it kind of sleep. So I mean, that's know. fantastic. I love that. And I think, you know, I've always been one that doesn't need a lot of sleep. And I always feel bad, like, well, they say eight hours, and my body just doesn't do that. It doesn't work. Um, 
I feel great after six. And so I've tried to battle it for a long time. Eh, don't battle it. Just let your body be, be the way it is. And that's okay. We're all different. You know, yeah. you got to know what makes you feel good. Exactly. Um, tell me a little bit about, so this is a female empowerment kind of podcast. Tell me about a woman in your life that has impacted you greatly. Oh, you know, when I, when, well, I, I will tell you there were um, a couple of nuns that really kind of, when I was very young, ended up uh, having, you know, a, a big influence on my life. Uh, but as I got older and got involved in politics, there were a couple of female elected officials here in the Evansville area that um, were really role models for me. And they were very strong women. And they kind of took me under their wing and and really kind of boosted me up. I think what I have struggled with, I think a lot of women do struggle with a lack of self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is something that I have struggled, not so much now, but for many, many years, I struggled with the lack of self-confidence. You know, I remember when I first got into politics and I was, I was like petrified to give speeches and to talk publicly. Really? Okay. I would, my hands would shake and I would sweat. And I mean, it was, I was just a a nervous wreck. And, you know, you watch the older, when I would watch women who were older, they seemed to have so much poise and they seemed to really have that confidence that I lacked as a young woman. I think some of that is just who we are. It's almost like, I, I've been, I don't have to worry about people criticizing me. I am my harshest critic. I mean, I'm constantly, I'm constantly saying I can do better. I can do better. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. You know, I could have, I could have done this differently. So I think I'm like a lot of women. We're pretty hard on ourselves and we, I don't measure my, I don't measure me by other people. I measure me by me. You know, and what I think I am capable of doing, and it's never, I always feel like I can do better. I can always do better. Um, so your question was who, women that influenced me. It was those older women that were in politics and that were in elected office that seemed to have that confidence and that poise that I myself lacked, um, you know, but they, because they took me under their wing and they really, it mentored me. Uh, I think that helped me along the journey to become a more confident woman. I was just going to ask. So I, the level of confidence, I think you're right. Imposter syndrome is huge. I think um, I am the same as I, as I gain years, I gain confidence. And I think, and do you think confidence is, is there something that you think people can do or women can do to gain that confidence earlier? Or is it really just the experience and the time that helps that grow over time? You know, I, I often hear people talk that men seem to have confidence, young boys and men seem to have the confidence at a younger age. And, you know, we as women don't. um, And I don't know Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I know there's probably been a lot of studies on that. I don't know myself personally why that is, Um, why I struggled with it so much. I mean, I was, I'll tell you one of the reasons I struggled with it is that I was kind of 
I, I was very different because when I was much younger, I was almost as tall. I mean, when I'm talking about being about 10, 11, I was almost as tall as I am today, which is five foot 11. Right. So I was taller than, at that time, I was taller than all the kids in the school, most of the teachers. And so kids would make fun of me and call me the Jolly Green Giant. I was, how's the weather up there? And you know, yeah. And so I think that probably was part of why I didn't have the self-confidence because I didn't, you know, feel like I was like everyone else, you know, I, and so I felt different um, and probably just didn't have that confidence that, you know, maybe, maybe other young women had. But I do think as a group, we do struggle with that. And I don't know, I don't know what the answer is. You know, I've always tried to instill in my daughter that she can do and be whatever she wants. And I'd always tell her how great she was and, um, so I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I think some of it is uh, for women. I think it's time. I think it's almost opposite for men. I think as they gain years, maybe that decreases a little bit. Um, or maybe it's more of a roller coaster for them. I'm not sure. But for uh, women, what I've seen is just, you know, some of my favorite people. I had an aunt that passed away several years ago, but she was one of she's one of the most influential women in my life. And she just I remember, you know, she had quite a potty mouth, so I won't say it exactly. But she definitely uh, would always say, you know, at some point you just stop caring about other people's opinions. And I think the most most of the time, if I ever hear that from any person, it's they're well within their 30s, probably mid 40s or beyond. And I think that's a switch that we get at some point where it's like, you know what? I just don't care if you don't think I'm skinny enough or good enough or pretty enough. I just am not going to care. And I think that letting go of that almost gives us the confidence that we should have had all along. So I think there's some in that. I don't know how to maybe if there's a way to get to that point at a younger age where we really do just, it doesn't have to be, not that we shouldn't care what anyone thinks, but we, we should definitely care less what other people think. And I think if there's a way to get that to happen earlier in our lives, and I think that's what you see a lot of guys, they don't care. They're who they are 100%. And if you don't like it, that's on you. And I think that that's a pretty extreme opinion. And I don't think that, you know, I'm not going to say every guy has that, but I think that's kind of that sense you get when you see that confident man. And I, I don't, well, I think maybe we need more of it. And I don't know, I, I, I guess mine would be, I'm not sure how to bring it out earlier. Um, I'm trying to with my nieces. I don't have any kids, but I'm trying to with my nieces. You know, how do you make them fully understand that, you know, the day you graduate high school, none of the high school drama matters anymore. It's really being you and how do you find yourself before college or before, you know, how do you find yourself before or, or at a much earlier time frame? I think for me is just, uh, I have a niece who's 16 and she to this day has never cared about anyone's opinion of her. And it's this gem of a thing she has about her personality that I absolutely love. I think it's some of her mom is my sister and she's very strong. Uh, so she's kind of teaching that, I think. Uh, and some of it, I think, is just, you know, that nature versus nurture. I think some of it's just that's how she's born. That's who she is as a person. And it's a lovely trait that she has. Um, and she also, as you mentioned, beats to the, you know, kind of sound of her own drum. But she has always been like that. And I think she always will. And it's really great because she just doesn't 
it doesn't bother her if people don't like her or if she's not the popular kid, you know, and I think that we need, we need to instill that younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. So tell me about um, kind of similarly thinking as you grew up, you said, you know, you're Indiana native, of course, and you grew up, you said in a strong Catholic household. Um, give me an example of a significant barrier that you've overcome within your life. It could be as Lieutenant Governor, it could be as an 11 year old Suzanne, whatever you think is kind of that that barrier that you've had to overcome. Oh, you know, I think. um Probably, looking back on my entire life, I think the things that I've had to overcome uh, that were the most difficult or challenging were probably ones that happened when I was younger, you know, when I was more like a child. Being able to accept my height, you know, and being able to get comfortable with that was really a challenge that I had to overcome. And I mean, I, I mean, it seems really insignificant and petty now when, when I look at how many challenges other people have that they had to overcome. I think if you're teased about it or if you, I mean, when you're in middle school, it's going to be hard either way. And so I grew up, my, I grew up named Jenny Craig. Um, through high school and it was terrible. Um, the chubby chick named Jenny Craig was not fun. And I think similar for someone tall, it's like, oh, do you play basketball or, you know, and you're like, I'm so sick of these questions. And like you said, just kind of accepting that earlier. And is there things that maybe you've learned that would help, would have helped you learn to accept that earlier? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I really don't. I mean, my parents, my mother would always, well, what happened is, you know, because I was so tall, I was always slouchy, you know, <laughs> trying, trying to get shorter. And my mother would just ride me constantly about stand up straight, you know, stand up straight, you know, put your shoulders back, you know, and threaten to buy a brace for me and all that. And, <laughs> you know, uh, I just, I think that, you know, it. I don't know that there was anything anybody could have done differently because they were very supportive and would always try to build me up. But it was just something I felt within me. I was different, and kids. I wasn't. I wasn't being. I wasn't one of the other kids because I was so different. And my that difference seems kind of small and petty right now when I think of children that are disabled or children that are challenged. I mean. I can I can't even imagine what they struggle with and, and what they have to overcome, you know, because just that little bit of being different for me, which wasn't anything that was big or terrible. To me it was. Right. But it really wasn't, not in the whole scheme of what other people struggle with. Um, but it gave me, I think, a, a gave me a, a, an empathy that I have now for other people who are different and other people who are struggling. It helped me, I think, as I've gotten older, want to help those people who really, you know, are struggling because they are different or they have, you know, had things happen to them that through no fault of their own, they are where they are, you know, and struggling with things. So that's, um, uh, you know, we just, um, we all just have to be more 
accepting of each other, you know? And yes. if, if other people, I look back, if, if the kids in, you know, my school and my, you know, my peers, if they'd have been more accepting of me, maybe I'd have had, dif- maybe I'd have been different, you know? But then maybe I wouldn't have been as strong as I am now. Maybe I wouldn't have as much empathy as I do now for other people. So I just think we have to have the strength and the courage to deal with life on life's terms. We want to deal with life on our terms, but it just isn't, that's just not the way it works, you know? Very well said. Yeah, we've just got to accept life. We have to accept who we are. There's a reason for it. And, you know, my daughter would always complain when she was younger that life wasn't fair. And I told her, I said, you're right. It's not fair. It's not the hand you're dealt that's important. It's how you play it that becomes important. And so we all just have to play it the best we can. Yes. Very well said. Um, do you have, I would, I, this is not something I normally ask, but it's something I've been thinking about, not just for this interview, but thinking of adding. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, do you have a fun or funny kind of antidote or memory from your childhood that you want to share? Is there that story that your mom always told or that thing that you remember just that you guys still kind of joke about as a family today or anything like that, that you want to share with, with the audience? Well, I will show you this store because this is really kind of hysterical. It just kind of uh, maybe illustrates what a a serious young um, child I was. Uh, (laughs) Shared that I, you know, I grew up Catholic and was raised, you know, and went to parochial schools. And I was very, I was a very devout Catholic. And I remember one year I wanted to get an All Saints book for my birthday. So my parents bought me an All Saints book. And so what that is, is like every day you would open the book and it would have a different saint fe- featured and he had pictures, you know, that were accompanying, you know, the stories. And so I was particularly taken with St. Agnes because my mother, her name was Mary Agnes. And Mary Agnes was, um, had been martyred by the Roman soldiers and, and she had dedicated her life to Jesus. And so she was wrapped in the picture where she was wrapped in a toga holding a lamb for purity because she was, you know, had been pure and had dedicated her life to Jesus. So that year for Halloween, I decided to go trick-or-treating as St. Agnes. And I got a sheet. I got a sheet and I wrapped the sheet around me. I had a stuff, found a stuffed lamb. Can you imagine getting a knock on the door, opening it up, and this kid in a sheet holding a lamb says, trick or treat, and you say, who are you? And of course I said, St. Agnes. I mean, can I now look back on that and I think how hysterical that was. But I'll tell you what, I got it. Can, oh, I would love to talk to one of those people that opened the door. I got a huge haul that year. I mean, I got brothers and sisters, so, you know, I don't know. It paid off. <laughs> nothing else, yeah, it worked. That's a fantastic. Perfect story. Exactly what I was looking for. Uh, I absolutely love that. You're kind of just thinking, well, everybody knows this. It's yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, I thought I was so brilliant going as a <laughs> I love that. 
Okay, so we're going to drum roll in to the uh, quick response questions. So these ones I'll have you answer as quickly as possible. I don't have a buzz or anything, so you don't have to worry about that. But I'll ask you, it's about seven quick response questions. So try to answer as fast as possible. I don't pressure you a lot, but try to answer as fast as possible. Okay, so number one, how long do you sit at a green light before you honk at the person in front of you? Mm, I, I never honk, but rarely. But I might sit there for like, oh, I don't know, 30 seconds because I, 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 I just don't honk at people. I'm, I'm afraid there'll be road rage if I get yes. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? But you're exactly right. This is scary to honk at people nowadays. Uh, what woman would you most want to have a drink with living or dead? And what drink would it be? It doesn't oh. have to be booze. It can be coffee. It can be tea, anything. What woman would I like to have a Margaret Thatcher? Ooh, good answer. And what would you guys drink? I don't know what she'd drink. I'd drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> you want to sit and have a beer with Margaret Thatcher? I love that answer. That's fantastic. Uh, what is one big thing that you have yet to accomplish? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll wait and see. Great answer. Uh, what would be the title of your biography? Uh, celebration. Ah, oh, very good. What is your favorite day of the week? Oh, um, probably Friday. Got it. And why? Well, I come home to Evansville on Fridays. You get to see your family. You get to come home. That's fantastic. Would you rather have invisibility or super strength? And why? Invisibility or super strength? Yeah. Well, super strength, of course. <laughs> and what would you do with that superpower? I, I would do uh, whatever I wanted, whatever I wanted. Lifting cars off people left and right. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting question. And what carnival ride do you hate the most? What car ride? Carnival. Oh, carnival ride. Um, the things that twirl and you go upside down. Oh, I don't know what that's called, but it's definitely not the first time I've had that as an answer and I need to figure it out because they are terrible. Yeah. If you spin, it spins as well. It's not, yeah. I can't. And, and do you love, do you do roller coasters or anything like that? No, I don't do roller coasters. I have a bit of a fear, fear of heights. In fact, the last time my husband, my daughter and I went over to Six Flags and St. Louis, and I, I said, I'm going to do the roller coaster. I'm going to do the roller coaster. I'm going to do the roller coaster. And we got to the top. They clamped us in, and I started yelling, I got to get out of here. So they had to unclamp and let me out. And I had to walk the walk of shame all the way down, back down. Oh, no. <laughs> down the stairs. Oh, that stinks. Yep. I'm very similar. I don't like the roller coaster. So I feel you. I've just accepted it, and I'm not ever going to try. It's okay. <laughs> well, you did it. I that's all of the questions I had prepped for you. Are there is there anything I didn't touch on that you would like to add or anything um, that I didn't mention that you would like to? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think you um, asked more than most people and probably got more of an insight into me than most people do. And that is exactly what we're looking for. Uh, well, perfect. Thank you so much for doing this. We appreciate your time a ton. 
Well, guys, we've got another episode completed from All About the Girls, the podcast. Please make sure if you enjoy the podcast to go like us, subscribe, follow, rate, tell everybody that you love us so that we can get even more new listeners. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to All About the Girls, the podcast, and we will see you all soon. Thanks.